0: poor workers good news to you i'll tell
1: how the good old union has come in here to dwell
0: a battle in the heart of alabama caught her
1: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor
3: Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
2: Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, an Alabama DA nullifies the Second Amendment. We talked to Ryan Zitgraf about the South's Hollywood in Georgia. Uh, We get some updates on the Steve Perkins killing in Decatur, Alabama, and U.S. Representative from Alabama Gary Palmer uh, shows that he doesn't know anything about telework all that and more on today's valley labor report if you want to be part of the program today we've got a phone number and the line is open you can call or text 844-899-TVLR that is 844-899-8857 you can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and we might respond on the next show if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio Or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, all at The Valley Labor Report. We also have a website, tvlr.fm. You're going to want to bookmark that page and subscribe to our newsletters so you can get Last Week in Southern Labor and Boss Watch in your email inbox every single week week. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. We could not do it without y'all. So if you have the funds and you think that what we provide is useful... Please do donate. You can make a one-time donation or a set up a monthly recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. Uh, and if you are a member of a union, then think about getting your local to sponsor the show. We couldn't do it without our union sponsors as well.
0: Let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. As most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. Whether you're a loyal fan or a first-time listener, we appreciate you spending some time with us
2: all right and with that out of the way folks we have a great show planned for you today uh lots of hearings that are relevant to folks on uh in dc last week lots of updates on uh the criminal justice front that uh affects working people as uh the majority of criminal justice issues affect working people it's not the bosses that go to jail um virtually ever so uh, but uh, as we typically do we're going to start off with last week in southern labor and we've got a bunch of updates in uh, strikes and bar- bargaining and uh, policy and politics so we're going to go ahead and jump right into it here is what workers in the U.S. South and the American colonies were up to on the week ending on the 17th of November in new NLRB filings the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers IBEW Local 60 filed a unit clarification petition regarding the 500 worker bargaining unit it represents at Big State Electric in San Antonio, Texas. Now, I'm not sure exactly what clarification is being sought. Typically, these petitions are used to expand or contract the bargaining unit. If I had to guess, I would assume it's an attempt to expand the unit based on the NLRB's new joint employer rule, uh because the filing names in addition to Big State Electric, uh subcontractors, LaborMax Staffing and FlexTech, uh and FlexTech. Uh so if anybody knows more about that then uh I would uh love to be uh put in the loop. Two workers at Technica LLC in Fort Bliss, Texas, filed for a union election with the International Union of Operating Engineers, IUOE, Local 351, and uh, here's another one that I'm having trouble deciphering. Uh, lots of unconventional filings this week. An individual at Starbucks in Shivano Park, Texas, filed a petition to decertify Starbucks Workers United as the union representing the 22 workers there, but here's where it gets a little weird. Then they withdrew that petition in the same week and the case was closed. And the same day that case was closed, another decertification was petition was filed at the same location. And that case is still open. So, uh, it's possible. I, if I had to guess here, my uh, I would assume that there was some kind of administrative error in the first desert petition, and so they filed another one, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, we'll keep an eye on it. Three workers at TransDev in Auburn, Alabama, filed for a union election with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 612. The Amalgamated Transit Union, ATU Local 1493, filed a unit clarification petition regarding the 200-person bargaining unit it represents at RATP Dev U. US- S.A. in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, here again, not exactly sure what clarification is being sought. 41 workers at Airport Aviation Services in San Juan, Puerto Rico filed for a union election with the Union Independente de uh, Trabajadores del Aeropuerto. Uh, otherwise known in English as the Independent Union of Airport Workers. Additionally, three workers at the Harris County Democratic Party in Houston, Texas, filed for a union election with the United Professional Organizers. Uh, we had a few election results. Starting off with a uh, not great one in Fort Worth, Texas, where workers at Bimbo Bakery voted against unionization with the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers and Grain Millers International Union (BCTGM) Local 100. Zero to five. Uh, those always hurt. Security guards at Omniplex in Herndon, Virginia voted in favor of unionization with the Protective Service Officers United, 12 to 1. 23 school bus drivers at Durham School Services in Memphis, Tennessee voted in favor of unionization with the Teamsters Local 667 and 20 workers at M-Lex US, a marketing company in Washington, D.C. withdrew their request for unionization with the Washington Baltimore News Guild, Local 367 Two zero three five In uh, settlements, grievances, and unfair labor practices, Morgantown, West Virginia, local thir- uh, 313 firefighters are in line to receive holiday back pay dating to 2014. Uh, so that'll be a nice check. After the West Virginia State Supreme Court ruled in their favor in a case where the firefighters alleged they were not being paid everything that they were owed under state law during holidays. The case has been remanded back to the uh, Monongolia Circuit Court Judge, uh, where they will oversee a process that determines how much exactly the city owes the 54 current and former firefighters in damages and award accordingly. So congratulations to them. In Strike and Bargaining Updates, 700 Obamacare and Medicare workers staged the largest federal call center strike in, the histo- in history at Maximus Call Centers in seven states, and Alabama prison guard Jeremy Pelzer is accused of encouraging prisoners to murder a prison strike organizer who is incarcerated in the Limestone Correctional Facility. Mm. We just keep finding bad apples, and that's all there is to the story about cops and correctional officers. Is that right? Yep, that's what I'm being told. Editorial workers at Mississippi Today and Verite News New Orleans, organized into the Deep South Today Union, an affiliate of Nabet CWA, recently began negotiations for a first contract with management after securing voluntary recognition in the summer. They say they are seeking higher, more equitable wages greater transparency and job security. UAW members at Mack Trucks have ratified the same national agreement by 93% that they had previously rejected by 73%. This comes after the union says that Mack Trucks declared they would not move any further and that the previous offer was a last, best, and final, and that if the workers did not ratify the agreement, they would implement the contract and permanently replace striking workers. The union also claims that they did win significant changes in the local agreements. BCTGM members who manufacture soy protein for IFF in Memphis, Tennessee, continue the strike that they began in June, and Hyundai has joined the chorus of non-union automakers clamoring to respond to the UAW's deals with the Big Three with a promise to raise wages by 25% by 2028. The difference between this commitment and the UAW's is that the UAW has a contract with the Big Three, but Hyundai can just as easily go back on this commitment between now and 2028. And uh, if and when they do this, it will not receive nearly the same national and local coverage as the promised wage gains. These details were not relayed in Alabama's right-wing propaganda outlet Yellowhammer News when they reported on Hyundai's magnanimous announcement. In fact, their article did not even so much as mention the UAW. Starbucks Workers United claimed that last week saw their biggest labor action at the company yet, with some 5,000 workers striking at 200 stores, including several in the South. Like with negotiations at UPS, the Teamsters have begun rolling out tentative agreements on specific issues at Anheuser-Busch. Last week, they announced that they they were able to get the company to restore retirement benefits for active and retired members and eliminate the two-tier health insurance system currently in place, where new employees pay hundreds of dollars more for insurance than tenured employees. Workers at Anheuser-Busch Breweries in St. Louis, Missouri, Jacksonville, Florida, Houston Texas, Williamsburg, Virginia, and Cartersville, Georgia are members of the Teamsters union and are implicated in these negotiations in policy, politics, and legislation. The Atlanta journal constitution reports that Georgia house Republicans are looking at full Medicaid expansion. Wow. Uh, we'll see, uh, Believe it when I see it. I right. guess is the appropriate uh, the appropriate response to that. Democratic Florida State Representative Angie Nixon filed legislation to reestablish a state Department of Labor, which would finally empower a state agency to investigate and prosecute wage theft. She has filed this year this bill every year since 2020 without success or attention. The same representative in Florida has also filed legislation to make landlords provide air conditioning. Tenants, which is somehow not already mandatory in Florida. Chambers County, Alabama is planning to close two area schools and merge them into one. Two teachers were arrested at the school board meeting for protesting the plan. The municipality of Portsmouth, Virginia voted to allow its employees to unionize last week after a campaign primarily led by International Association of Firefighters affiliate the Portsmouth Portsmouth, Professional Firefighters and Paramedics Union, Local 539. Republicans in the U.S. Senate tried and failed to repeal Biden's new student debt repayment, which does not require payments of debtors whose income is below $60,000. The same Republicans support a repeal of the estate tax, which would give Elon Musk's family a $100 billion tax break. Republicans in the U.S. House, meanwhile, successfully passed amendments to funding bills out of committee that would cut salaries of OSHA and MSHA officials to $1 and would stop MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, from implementing the same silica standard that exists in every other American workplace, which would doom thousands more miners to a painful death via black lung. The bill also cuts the already meager budget of OSHA by 15%, but That wasn't enough for one Republican member who proposed to eliminate OSHA's budget in its entirety. A new Senate report released shocking findings that nursing homes with higher staffing ratios provided better and safer care. Specifically, it found that nursing homes that do not meet the proposed minimum staffing standard are much more likely to have serious deficiencies that cause harm to residents and that nursing homes with lower staffing levels are much more likely to have patient abuse. 4.5 percent, of nursing homes that already have adequate staffing to meet the Center for Medicaid Services proposal have the abuse indicator in nursing home compare. In contrast, 8.5% of nursing homes that do not meet the proposed Center for Medicaid standards uh, standard have the abuse indicator in nursing home compare.
0: Nearly twice as much. Wow.
2: Nearly twice as much abuse at uh, nursing homes that do not meet Uh, recommended staffing levels. Uh, Again, a very shocking finding from the U.S. Senate. Uh, So uh, that's last week in Southern Labor for you. We are going to be right back with Ryan Zitgraf to talk to us about the Hollywood of the South, how it became that way, and uh, why it's maybe not as good as it seems. We'll be right back. Benefit Architects has proudly supported union members and union-made products for over 35 years. If you are a federal employee and an AFGE member, you're eligible for hundreds of dollars in money-saving benefits, including group life insurance, dental insurance, and AFLAC insurance. Additionally, if you're a union member, but don't work for the federal government, you can still qualify for several of these money-saving policies. So give Tate Cure a call at 256 215 for details and to enroll. Again, that is Tate Heuer at 256 215 6769.
1: In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit coveralabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker and Jacobs Have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples Tucker and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com no representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms.
4: Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org.
2: Come build a better future with us today and join IU
1: I'm attorney Tommy Seniard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's
3: with you. Seniard Law. You need attorneys always available to
1: take care of you. Seniard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Seniard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case.
3: Seniard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way.
1: Seniored Law, the name with proven results.
4: Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you
0: poor world.
2: Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with Adam Keller. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, Jacob in the chat, not me, says, Sean Fain for president, but I endorse the message. Uh, Jared from IFPTE says, nice jacket. Thank you very much. Infinite content, solidarity with all workers. Appreciate you joining us. Brandon, good morning in solidarity. Uh, Jared, uh, Corrects my pronunciation on a West Virginia town, Manangalia. Manangalia. Uh, quirky geek girl in the chat in the YouTube chat says another grocery store in Toronto slash Ontario is potentially going on strike on Monday if a deal can not be reached it's especially bad as the company just posted record profits this year Mm. Um, that seems like a recurring theme in labor negotiations Uh, Jada morning y'all solidarity forever appreciate everybody tuning in we've got 30 folks watching the stream and 20 likes let's get those numbers up if we can Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in to us on the radio as well um so georgia uh i think you know this is something that i think people are becoming more and more aware of particularly in the south you know whenever good things happen or notable things happen in the south uh people in the south t- uh, tend to be tend to be proud about it i i'm proud when good things happen in the south um and so over the last several years georgia has become something of a movie destination, something of a, a, you know, it's more and more movies are being filmed in Georgia. Uh, and the, uh, as Ryan Zitgraf writes in Jacobin Magazine, that glossy magazine covers are citing Georgia's attractive scenery and diverse people and places as the reason for the trend. Uh, so, Ryan, welcome to the program. And it seems to me, from the way that that sentence is written, you don't think that is exactly the case.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> um, when it comes to Hollywood, a lot of it comes down to money.
2: Now, you and know, so it, here's another thing that, that you mentioned, but but it's just having I'm having a lot of trouble f- figuring it out uh because i'm always told that what drives hollywood is is the woke the woke mind virus uh they want to trans our kids and uh all that kind of stuff that's what drives hollywood but you're saying that's not the case
3: well it would be if if the money was there but uh (laughs) you know hollywood hollywood sees green uh over woke i believe
2: Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. So if there was money in transing the kids, then maybe we would have something to worry about. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so, (laughs) but so what, what is it then about Georgia that is bringing, uh, that's bringing Hollywood to film more shows over there? If it's not, you know, the beautiful scenery and the people and the places.
3: Well, as you know, there's been a lot of jobs, um, a lot of companies moving jobs to the South over the last few decades, and some of that has to do with people themselves moving, um, you know, to the South. But a lot of it has to do with ununionized labor, the lack of, of unions in the South, although that seems to be uh, slowly changing, but um, also tax incentives. Um, you know, uh, Louisiana um, kind of pioneered this in the South when it comes to offering Hollywood you know, 10, 20% off their productions when they film um, in the state. And so actually around 2004, 2005, there was a movie Ray that was the uh, the biopic of Ray Charles. Oh, yeah. And he's from Georgia. And um, people were upset, like in, in Georgia, that they decided to film it in Louisiana because of the tax credits. So Sonny Perdue, who was the governor of Georgia back then, um, said, hey, you know, we we need to compete with this. So they started offering like um, one of the biggest tax credits among states to do 20 percent um, flat tax uh, um, offer productions. Plus, if you if you use the little peach logo and put that at the end of the credits, that's an extra 10 percent. So. 30 uh, percent uh, tax credit on all productions was pretty huge so between that and the lack of uh unions um that's a big reason why hollywood moved to georgia
2: jeez for a peach logo in the credits you get a 10 percent tax credit on anything yep. filmed in the state of georgia
3: on top of twenty percent. On top of twenty percent. They give you anyway already.
2: But now, yeah. so does this mean that? Does this mean that if I were to go to Georgia and film like a little documentary about a local, you know, ironworkers union, that I would be able to benefit from, and and the union would be able to benefit from that?
3: Sure. Yeah. Come come and make it.
2: <laughs> okay. Is there is there like there? So there's not a minimum. Uh, uh, there's not like a minimum. Uh, size that the project has to be. Well, you have
3: to. I, I believe you apply with the state office. Oh. Um, and I don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a chance that if it's just you making your own little film, they won't do it. Mm. Uh, there probably is a minimum, but I'm not aware of what all the qualifications. But yeah, you you apply for the for the tax credit through the state office.
2: And so, how much money is being spent by Georgia taxpayers uh, by by the public in Georgia? Uh, on the film industry,
3: um, it's about a billion dollars a year. So it is <laughs> as more as more productions uh, come down and migrate here. Yeah, it's costing um, one billion dollars in taxpayer money a year.
2: And have they, has Georgia been able to, you know, run the numbers and say, okay, look, yeah, we're spending a billion of your dollars to get a peach logo in the credits, but but also, you know, there are all these other good things. Like what, what is the, you know, how is the cost-benefit analysis of this looking?
3: Well, <clears throat> there is dispute over, they, they use a certain kind of multiplier. Um, different economists use different numbers to try to say, Here's the financial impact, you know, of this industry being here. And and you also see this a lot when you talk about using taxpayer dollars to bring in uh sports stadiums, you know. Like mm-hmm. for instance, the Braves moved their stadiums a few years ago, and they're like, well, it'll have this uh uh effect on the local economy. And so the multiplier that is that they use is something like 3.5 um times whatever is spent so that is like the impact of of tourism and all of these people coming in from other states uh to work on these productions um but there's been some um some professors here in georgia uh who have studied the numbers and said and said that this 3.5 um number is not is not true like that perhaps doubling like so maybe two times but Mm -hmm. so the state is sort of using inflated numbers to justify it
2: right and when we and and, you know if you hear okay well we spent a billion dollars but the economy got two billion dollars that might sound immediately like okay you know that's not the worst thing but what you have to think about is kind of the cost benefit you know say okay so the state of Georgia. We are dedicated to spending a billion dollars, okay? And then the question becomes what should we spend it for and what would be the most valuable and and, and the best use of that billion dollars? And there are other things that the state of Georgia needs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean with
3: uh, of course, definitely, especially with the uh, Governor Kemp um, been cutting higher education um funds and look <laughs> yeah, healthcare uh, i mean you name it there's a, plenty of stuff that uh, georgia could use that for that that money
2: and so why uh you know why are they not doing that investing in uh, you know in, in investing in healthcare or uh uh you know stuff like that uh maybe transportation public transportation in georgia instead of uh instead of doing that you know they're saying no we should you know send send money to to the hollywood elites is you know that's what they're doing um why is that well
3: i i mean i think they're just they're for one um they're trying to keep the film industry here because there are other states that are offering um more and more tax credits in fact nevada recently i think mark Wahlberg um, is trying to get hollywood to move to nevada so nevada Mm. is offering a lot of tax credits um i know alabama has considered it like um Mm. in this past session you know there was consideration to try to compete with uh with georgia for those tax credits so they're worried that if they cut the tax credits um that hollywood will leave and i think that's sort of a um a mixed argument because I mean, um, they have built these big studios in Atlanta. And once you build these big structures, it's, it's a little harder to leave. Um, right. Tyler Perry built his Tyler Perry studios. Marvel has their own basically company town, uh, Mm -hmm. in the suburbs of Atlanta. So they're pretty well established at this point. So, you know, the idea that you have to give them a billion dollars to stay, I don't, I don't think that pans out.
2: Right. Yeah. Once you once you get them there, you know, the the it might make sense to actually get them there. But once you do get them there and they, they're starting to invest all of this money in infrastructure and, and they have already invested all this money in infrastructure and stuff, uh, it becomes, you know, the opportunity cost for them. It becomes more and more difficult to justify moving away. Right. And so um, and, and this has been really part of a trend in uh uh in states and municipalities across the country uh you know really just kind of prostrating themselves in front of uh, uh in, in front of big companies um begging for them to move you know a a manufacturing center or a new headquarters here and we'll give you all of this public money uh to to do that can you talk to us a, a little bit about that trend and, and kind of the what that speaks to in in our uh, uh, in our culture
3: well, you know, um, for puns, you know, they want to be business friendly. They want to uh, seem like they're bringing jobs. But the problem is, is that um, that they kind of leave themselves at the mercy of these companies. And you have all of these states together sort of bending over backwards to do whatever the businesses want. And they're sort of held hostage or they feel like they're they're held hostage. But, um, yeah, you see, uh, I'm sure, you know, in Alabama, just like Georgia um, you know, over the last decade that there's been these big car manufacturers and like here in Georgia, they're building a Rivian plant um near Atlanta. And it is insane um how much tax credits they're giving to this company to to go. But the problem is again, is these politicians are also definitely afraid of losing jobs that these mm. companies are gonna move uh elsewhere. So th- there's not much um you know, they're, they're just worried about saving their butts. And so they'll do whatever it takes, you know, here, free money, free money. And -hmm. it doesn't always pan out. Right
2: oh what, what one more question i know adam has a question but are there any you know so in some of these uh tax giveaways uh there are strings attached to them you know like okay look we're going to give you a billion dollars but it's not just free money you've got to you know pay this amount of wages you've got to make sure that your kids uh, that, that, that your workers have child care and this kind of stuff are there any strings attached in that way uh, worker protections
3: not really i mean in fact you know, um, one issue is that, you know, in Georgia, because of the lack of unions, when, you know, the movie production that happens in like New York and California, um, a lot more of those jobs are union. Those are kind of more unionized states. And then here, um, there are about 20,000 uh, of film and TV production jobs, but only about a little over 8,000 are, are are unionized. Mm. Um, and, you know, these companies promise a certain amount of jobs like for instance tyler perry studio um his studios have promised something like eight thousand jobs um but right now there's only about 400 and there's no mechanism for the state to be like well where are these jobs it's just it's just a promise and they just um like yeah sure we believe you
0: yeah that's that's exactly you you spoke about what i was going to ask about which was the the differences in the unionization rates between you know these different sources of industry Um, and and really what you just said i think is huge that there is a lack of accountability that you know companies make these big promises politicians make these big promises and You know, we're lucky if it's even tracked, if anyone Mm -hmm. even is paying attention to see, you know, if the promise comes true, much less if there's any accountability afterwards, you know, if said promises aren't filled. Uh, But you spoke a little bit about the differences in the unionization rates. And and of course, that's one of the reasons why industries come to the south. They're trying to flee union power. Uh, And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit more about like the union landscape there in the Georgia film industry. Uh, you know, what are the states of the unions there? I'm a member of IOTC, so of course, you know, uh, I'm very, um, interested in any, anything happening with IOTC over in Georgia, but, uh, did you have any more thoughts there? Just what, what's the conditions like for the unions there and are they, are they able to, you know, seize on this industry growth and, and try to grow or are they really encircled?
3: Uh, yeah, I think, um, IOTC has several thousand members here and uh sag aftra uh also has have several thousand um but again among 20,000 um you know with this strike that that just ended um it's been interesting because um you've seen more of a rally i mean it, it, you know atlanta it was sort of um it was sort of a flashpoint for the strike and so you had um union members and non-union members getting together to to call for better conditions and better pay. There was a uh, a photo, I think, that was kind of amazing that came out of Atlanta. There was a stuntman that uh, came out uh, in a suit and he was on fire <laughs> having a sign, uh, you know, uh, a strike sign, and um, that was just really eye-catching. It made headlines everywhere and it was incredible. That's awesome. Um, mm yeah but yeah i mean so during the strike though it was rough for a lot of these non-union workers um right a lot of them were doing uber um i'm a i'm a part-time trivia host and there was a bunch of actors that were uh you know started doing trivia hosting um mm-hmm. a lot of them a lot of these guys were just struggling they were um, right. just taking you know low-paid gig work and i just I'm very positive. I feel like there's more solidarity than there than there was before, and there's just more awareness um, of the you know union, uh, non union, and 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 a lot of those people came together. So um, even though you know we had this strike and it was hard on a lot of workers, I I think there's um, a lot of positive vibes in the future.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, we know that strikes can be very educational. As tough and difficult and grueling as they can be, um, folks learn through struggle oftentimes. And so, if you know there was more solidarity, more connections and relationships have been built. Uh, you know, that's promising. I think for the future, because if these jobs are going to be there, and if the politicians are going to keep you know bribing the companies to keep the jobs there. Uh, then I think it's up to us as a movement to organize those jobs. Uh, and it's easier said than done in states like Alabama and Georgia, but, you know, that's kind of the mission in front of us. Um, and so, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping to see uh, is the growth of IATSE and SAG and all the entertainment industry unions over in Georgia and anywhere else they come, right? That You know, that's the thing. We as a movement have to organize in a way where, Companies cannot flee us, right? Wherever they go, we have to be there. Uh, And I think that's really important for us as a movement.
3: Another thing I was going to say was that I think a lot of times in the film industry, there is this feeling that you're lucky to be there, Mm. that, you know, this is this big, glamorous industry, and you should sacrifice to be a part of it. You know, there's a lot of unpaid interns, there's a lot of you know, low wage, uh, uh, bad working conditions, and it was sort of like you sucked it up because you know here you are, the movie industry is the greatest, right? Right. But I think that one thing that this strike has really done is sort of shine the light on on the low pay and working conditions for so many of people that work in the film industry, and I think there is more a of a uh, recognition that they need to fight. Um, they deserve they deserve more, right?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. One, one one story that I've been tracking that uh, that I don't think we're going to talk about today, but I would really like to talk about. So if you have any, you know, any contacts in this industry, you know, I I'd, I'd be interested in talking offline about it. But um, there has always been a similar dynamic in Japan in the anime industry, right? Um and I think it's kind of uh, worse in in Japan in the anime industry with like long working hours, uh terrible pay. Um very precarious you know there's kind of just hordes of people that are ready to take your place if if you can't uh you know if you can't hack it um and uh and, and this the past two weeks there's really been a lot of that kind of boiling over at uh, in particular mappa studios uh they've had a lot of animators um uh, going public on twitter talking about how terrible it is and and you know like uh uh depictions of of uh of suicide from these people like they're drawing you know themselves dead and, and stuff like that so it's been really uh, kind of graphic and disturbing and and uh and unfortunate over there so um i've reached out to uh some folks that, that i think may be able to come on but if, if you know anybody else happy to talk offline about that um but that's that kind of stuff happens in you know glamour industries right uh, exactly for the reasons that you said people grow up and and we are kind of our our um, life is kind of centered around culture and and movies and stuff. And so you grow up and you see the TV and you see the people on the TV more than you see, you know, other professions. And so that's kind of the first thing that you think of that you would want to do. Um, and along with that comes, you know, the the kind of allure of, of fame or the potential of fame. And so it's very easy uh, for workers in these industries to get exploited.
3: Yeah, and um, I think another issue that's really mobilized people um, in the industry is the uh, threat of AI, mm. and you know the fact that um, companies were looking more at not replacing artists, you know, using AI artwork, but even AI uh, background um, actors, right. um, extras, and the fact that you could uh, use an actor's voice. Uh, using AI that you don't have to bring them in a studio. You can just use AI to replicate it. There is a lot of issues around that, that I think really um, mobilize a lot of people. And it is scary because um, there is a lot of creative jobs that are under threat by AI. And I don't think that's going to go down anytime soon.
2: Right. Uh, Ryan, I appreciate your time this morning. We're going to have to get you back on at some point, because uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you grew up uh, in Alabama as a, pentecostal isn't that right
3: uh you got that half right i've okay. i lived in alabama for two years but i'm actually from central illinois
2: gotcha gotcha but you did grow up as a pentecostal you which said? is which is kind of like the alabama of illinois i'll, I'll say <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right <laughs> uh yeah so yes I,
3: I did grow, grow up pentecostal
2: yeah, yeah. And I grew up uh, in, in, uh, in a similar way that they don't call it Pentecostal in North Alabama. It's called a different thing. But but the gist is the same. And and so um, it's always uh, we're kind of a rare breed being, uh, you know, public pro worker kind of on the left, uh, having grown up in that environment. So we'll have to talk about that at some other time. Uh, Ryan Zitgraf, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, fi- uh, where can people find you?
3: Um, uh, You can find me in Jacobin Magazine. I write for Compact. And I'm a democracy uh, reporter um, for a news nonprofit called Atlanta Civic Circle. So Hmm. uh, I've been writing some about labor for them and uh, democracy, which is
2: another thing that we care about. All right. Ryan Zickraff, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yep. Uh, Yeah. So... Bad stuff given away one of the articles that he linked to in his piece in Jacob. And the piece is called uh, Georgia became the Hollywood of the South through massive corporate tax breaks. Um, One of the articles that he he linked to in that piece said that um, the tax subsidies to Hollywood in Georgia are now three hundred and thirty dollars per household. (laughs) wow it's 5% of the state budget like one out of every $20 that uh, the the Georgia government spends (laughs) goes to Hollywood that's just crazy crazy stuff so we'll keep an eye on that Um, appreciate everybody still tuned in uh we have uh, on Facebook, as always now, Joe and Mel, thank you all for tuning in. so we've got some uh we've got a couple of, of local uh local cop news um, that's been breaking today uh over the last week. All of this has come over the last week. Uh, so the first one that I actually just saw this morning, I didn't have prepped, but i'll just I'll just tell you about it really quickly. Um, this uh Alabama police officer from Killen. Was arrested, I uh, believe it was um, yesterday, on charges of first-degree rape and first-degree sodomy. Killing police officer Jared Webster uh, did this to a woman uh, during a traffic stop. Um, this woman went to Crestwood Medical Center uh, last week in Huntsville. Um, indicating that, indicated that she had been sexually assaulted by a police officer. And the FBI investigated and found enough evidence to present the case to a Lauderdale County grand jury. And the grand jury indicted killing police officer Jared Webster uh, on those charges. So, um, and Webster is now being held at Lauderdale Latter- County Jail under no bond under Anaya's Law, um, which was a new law that m- made it more difficult for people to get out on bonds. So, um, really, uh, you know really kind of gross stuff from law enforcement in Alabama. We also mentioned that a uh, limestone correctional officer is alleged to have encouraged other inmates to murder a prisoner who was an organizer of a prison strike back in 2019. And uh, this story uh, I wanted to go more in depth on because it really, this should really upset you, um, especially if you're a conservative especially if you're a conservative type person, Um, because um, this story about Ray King, uh, Republican District Attorney for Madison County, Alabama, Rob Broussard, has effectively nullified the Second Amendment, uh, in my view. And I think, you know, when you hear that, that might sound like a reach, but I don't think it is based on the facts of the case. And so here's uh, what they are. Early this year, Ray King, a janitor, at a local elementary school, the the school that I went to, I don't know if he was janitor at that point. Um, I I don't remember him, but uh, the the elementary school that I went to is where he he worked as a janitor. He was shot dead by cops in his own home after mistakenly showing up to the wrong house because they said he had a gun. Broussard announced last week, uh, Broussard is the Madison County District Attorney, the results of his nine-month investigation. This happened back in January. We're now hearing about the results of his investigation in November. Um, He claims that there are no charges that he can bring against the cops who killed him. He further said that he's not making a judgment on the uh, the validity of a potential civil trial, but uh, that wasn't what Ray King's mom was interested in. And uh, let's listen to this mostly, uh, you know, pretty good segment from WAFF here. And I I really appreciated the interview with King's mother. Let's play that.
4: A day met with disappointment for Ray King's mother, Ruby King. I did not want no money. I wanted... Justice for my son. After a long investigation, the conclusion, a tragic accident. Madison County District Attorney Rob Broussard determining Ray King didn't do anything wrong the night of January 5th, but neither did the deputies who shot him. The DA confirming deputies responded to the wrong home on Dixon Road in Hazel Green for a domestic violence call with shots fired. They arrived
2: to the scene without their vehicle lights and identifying themselves as deputies. They didn't
1: announce.
2: Pause that for a second. Yeah. I just want to emphasize that, the facts of what happened on that night when Ray King was killed in his home by cops because he had a gun. The cops were called to that area on a domestic violence call with shots fired. That means that in all likelihood, Ray King heard shots fired as well, right? Those gunshots are loud. And if you're in the area, if you're on the same street as a gun being fired, you're probably going to hear it. They went to the wrong house. They say that somebody else gave them the wrong house. They So they're saying it's not their fault that they went to the wrong house. Whether that's true or not, who knows. Um. They didn't come to his door at midnight, right? They're coming to his door at 1130 at night, shots fired in his neighborhood, on his doorstep. No police lights and the way that they phrase it in this part of the clip is kind of strange uh, but th- they do clarify later but the cops did not identify themselves while they were at his door that's the stage here for what happens next let's keep playing the clip
4: or nothing he still did not know that they was out there it was at eleven thirty at night Family members told us King went outside thinking there was a burglar. He was armed with a 9mm. The district attorney says based on the evidence, King didn't know law enforcement was on his property and he was acting within his right to defend himself. If I would have went out here and killed somebody, they would have put me under the jail. As Broussard agrees, though tragic, the incident doesn't warrant criminal action. It's a it's a horrible accident as far as the way everything happen.
1: He says deputies have a right to defend
4: themselves, especially if they believe they're in danger.
1: They think they're at the right house. They think and now some guy comes out and the guy has tracked one of the deputies and has the gun raised that deputy. From their perspective under criminal law, it's justified.
4: It's not right for him, for him to walk and my child can't walk. My child can't come back. My child's gone. He took my child away from me. Now, Broussard clarified here, the only thing he can look at is the criminal side. So, in other words, the only way this matter can be looked at further is in civil court.
0: Well, Matthew, what did Broussard have to
3: say about how deputies approached King's home, not identifying themselves?
4: Well, he said that video did show that. It proved that those deputies showed up to the house, did not identify themselves. And I asked him why, and here's what he had to say.
1: They call it a tactical approach, meaning there's a dangerous guy with a gun in here. We're not gonna park out front, we're not gonna announce, we gotta we gotta try to get the jump on this. But like I say, that's that's more of a police procedure question.
4: So in other words, it's not Broussard's job to determine if those procedures should be used by deputies. His job here, his only responsibility, is to determine if they had the right to pull the trigger. Reporting live in Huntsville, Matthew King, 48, on your side.
2: A total abdication of his responsibility, in my view. And so it's important for folks to know that uh, under our district attorney's interpretation of criminal law, It is completely fine for a police officer to bang on your door in the middle of the night if you haven't done anything, unannounced, with no lights, and kill you if you exercise your supposed right to arm yourself after hearing gunshots in your neighborhood and now somebody at the door. Not only does he claim that it's not murder, murder, right, because I can I can understand that even from a legal case, that it is not premeditated murder in the first degree or what, whatever, you know. These folks, they didn't get up, I don't believe, in the morning or even get out of the car that night thinking, I want to kill Ray King, okay? So I would understand not murder in the first degree. But to claim there's nothing here, it's not manslaughter, it's not negligent homicide, Nothing like that is absolutely absurd. Because as his mother rightly pointed out, there is no shot, there's zero chance that if the exact same circumstances happened, except that the killers were not this, you know, special little group of people, law enforcement, there's no shot that you or I would get away scot-free under this set of circumstances. If I come because I'm worried or something about my neighbor and I knock on his door in the middle of the night, and he opens with a gun, and I shoot him before he shoots or anything else, there's no chance, zero chance, that you or I get away with that scot-free. And also, just to mention for the record, Broussard here claims that King's gun was pointed at the officers. So I just want to get on the record, uh, that, and, and also... He has a right to do that. It's his home, people banging on his house. It's his right to point a gun at people banging at his door in the middle of the night after he hears shots fired, okay? That's like not an unreasonable thing to do. But Broussard makes that claim that the gun was not only in his hands, but it was pointed at the door, at the officers. Ray King's sister claims from reporting at the time that her Ring security camera showed that he did not, in fact, raise his gun. He simply had it in his hand. One way to clear up that confusion would be to release the body camera footage. But, you know, us subjects, us peons, uh, we don't deserve to know the evidence by which those in authority decide to or not uh, if the cops have a right to kill us in our homes. We We don't have a right to see that evidence. Apparently. So there we go. Total abdication of responsibility. And, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, the idea that because it's in the cop's procedure, that means it's not subject to legal and criminal scrutiny is also ridiculous. Because think about, think about that again, in literally any other profession, you or I could not get away with a similar circumstance. And we say, Hey judge, you know, look, Yeah, I killed this guy dead in his home, but my employee handbook said that this was okay, right? In no other profession is that okay. It's just a really, really disgusting state of affairs and just another long line of evidence that the cops, you know, here in Huntsville specifically, remember that this police department still defends a convicted murderer, but across the country, uh, police officers need to be brought to heel. I mean, this is just insane, insane stuff. That we're seeing um one more update on the uh law enforcement front another uh something that has been uh, uh another killing that has been in the news lately has been the uh decatur police killing of steve perkins who was killed in his yard again in the middle of the night like two in the morning at this one it's
0: just um, so obscene i mean yeah in your own home
2: yes Um, because he had a gun again here, you know, this is Alabama. we supposedly have a second amendment was supposedly we have constitutional carry. We can carry our guns like wherever the hell we want, supposedly. Um, but, uh, cops can kill us if we have it in our home. If we have a, a gun in our home, it's just insane. Uh, but the Decatur chief of police has released a statement on his investigation, the internal investigation within the Decatur police department. The internal investigation by the Decatur Police Department's Office of Professional Standards into the death of Stephen Perkins is complete. On Thursday... I met with the involved officers concerning the report, reviewed the findings, and gave them an opportunity to be heard before I made any decision. I found reason to believe that policies were violated and the final report and findings were sent to the legal department and outside counsel late this afternoon to prepare the formal documents to move forward the discipline process. Under our merit system rules, a chief of police cannot issue discipline beyond written reprimands, and it is my professional opinion that such discipline is warranted. The mayor will conduct a review and make a final determination if discipline is warranted and to what extent. And now here, you know, people talk about unions protecting bad employees. People talk about, you know that it, you just can't get rid of a bad teacher. It's just impossible. You can't do it. You can't get rid of a bad teacher. Uh, you can't get rid of a bad federal employee or a bad private sector worker. If there's a union contract and we've gone over how that is just silly, right? But this is unironically the case with police, because imagine that, that you have killed a person <laughs> you've, you've killed a guy in the best case scenario this was a mistake right you've killed a person because of your professional mistake and the worst thing that your boss can do is give you written reprimand <laughs> right? it's it's crazy that's cra- i mean any even if even if even in cases where there is a killing that is actually genuinely a mistake, and there should be no criminal charges or or anything like that. They should immediately be fired and should never be able to work a law enforcement job again, right because you make a mistake in you know an office setting as a clerical employee, you know oh, you forgot to capitalize this or that or whatever, you know that's fine, and you can correct it and you can move forward and become better but like Making a mistake where you end somebody's life doesn't even matter if you were well-intentioned or not. You know, that's just too much, right? You can't make those mistakes. That just shouldn't be acceptable. The officer who fired, and back to the statement, the officer who fired his weapon remains on paid administrative leave. As a matter of policy, officers who are paced on administrative leave continue to be paid while due process takes place. The other two officers who were on duty at the time of the shooting and the involved supervisor remain on duty, uh, but on administrative assignments. Additionally, I have made the determination that while the Decatur Police Department policies and procedures are accredited through the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies, we will be conducting a review of all policies and updating or adding policies that could help reduce the likelihood of something like this ever happening again. I also want to address reports in the media about Mr. Perkins' vehicle being repossessed by the recovery company shortly after Mr. Perkins was shot. This is true. (laughs) This is true. Wow. And while no policy exists, I mean, can you believe like being a, okay, you know, now, now we're moving outside of the cops. Can you believe being a guy working for a tow truck company and like, oh, this guy is sitting dead in his yard and now I'm going to take his car, right? Like even if, and I, and I have heard reports that, that this was, again, uh, this was also a case of, of the wrong house. I'm not, I haven't. Been able to myself confirm those reports. I'm not totally sure. But even if it was the right House, right? <laughs> like, I can't, you know, if I'm that guy, I'm calling my boss. I'm gonna be like, look, you know, the guy's dead. Okay, uh, let's you know, let's work this out another time. This is not the time. It's not the time, right? While no policy exists for every potential situation a police department may encounter, I fully understand why the officer's decision to allow this to occur caused additional hurt to Mr. Perkins' family and our community. I'm sorry for the additional pain caused and pledged. We are working to address the culture of our police department. Good luck to ensure compassion remains at the top of our core values. I would like to remind the public that the Decatur Police Department's administrative investigation and any outcome pertain to the violation of the department policy only. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency is conducting a separate criminal investigation to to determine if there were any violations of Alabama law. Finally, my thoughts remain with the family and friends of Mr. Perkins and all those in our community and beyond impacted by his death. This has been a very painful chapter for Decatur, and I recognize healing will not occur for many until, all, until after all information that can be released has been made public and all determinations on violation of policy and state law are completed and potential litigation resolved. As I have stated before, while the Decatur Police Department is not in control of when information pertaining to the criminal investigation will be released, I remain committed to encouraging it be shared as soon as feasible. The city of Decatur will continue to share any new information that is able to be shared as it becomes available. <coughs> so there we go. Um, that's, the statement from, that's the statement from the Decatur Police Department on the police killing of Steve Perkins in his yard because he had a gun.
0: I do want to take a moment to just send my support and love for the people who have been demonstrating and who have been continually keeping the pressure on officials indicator. Uh, You know, from afar, it really looks like the, the community indicator has banded together. And, you know, I've seen really diverse crowds of folks out there any given night. Uh, with actions throughout the week and uh, really, really trying to bring justice for Steve Perkins. And so uh, shout out to those folks. Uh, I know some of those folks who are going out there, uh, you know, they're very dedicated. um, And, you know, unfortunately, it takes a lot of public pressure to get any just information, much less justice. And so, uh, you know, that's what we got to do is we have to keep pressuring these folks because this unfortunately keeps happening Yep. and it's, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it disproportionately affects working class people, uh, black and Brown people in particular, but, um, you know, it's, it's unacceptable no matter what. Yeah. It's just unacceptable.
2: Yep. All right. Uh, so there you go. There's your police update. Um, Appreciate everybody staying tuned in. Uh, We are going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to be right back, uh, and we're going to get to uh, Boss Watch, and then uh, we've got a couple other Alabama stories uh, we'll get to if we have time. Folks, uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org.
2: O-R-G. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America Local 366 is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power.
4: Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm Attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured
3: and need help, You need a lawyer who's with you. Senured Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senured Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senured Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senured Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay
1: with you every step of the way. Senured Law. The name with proven results.
0: As labor union members, we face our share of challenges in the workplace. But today, I want to talk about a different kind of challenge, the climate crisis. We've all seen the fury of Mother Nature, the storms that can turn lives upside down in an instant. That's why Hometown Action is launching our Climate Protection Project. We're heading out to 10 rural communities, listening to local folks, and taking action with them to protect communities impacted by climate disasters. And we need you, our union brothers and sisters, to join us. Together, we'll make a difference. Our strength on the job is undeniable, and now it's time to put that strength to work for the planet. Let's protect our communities, our families, and our future. Visit hometownaction.org today and sign up to volunteer for the Climate Protection Campus.
1: I'm there's good
2: news to you, I'll tell How the good old union has come in here to dwell Alabama's only union talk radio show, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. Our phone number is 844-899-8857. If you want to give us a call, that is 844-899-8857. TVLR. You can also send us a text message if you'd like to read that on the str- uh, on on uh uh on the air since it's difficult for us to respond to every chat on YouTube and Facebook. You can also <coughs> text that message 844-899-8857. Uh Boss Watch. We'll go ahead and knock that out. Boss Watch is a segment that we do every single week where we take a look at what bosses were up to in the sou- uh southern united states uh because you know you're going to see mugshots all the time of normal working folks on the local news but you don't see mugshots of bosses despite the fact that they uh commit more crimes <laughs> than working people so uh starting off right here in alabama Federal investigators have recovered a staggering $530,000 in back wages and liquidated damages from a Montgomery home health care business that misclassified 67 employees as independent contractors and incurred overtime wage violations as a result. The U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division investigators found that Jennings Professional Services, an in-home uh, day and overnight health care provider, paid the affected employees straight time rates for all hours worked. And by doing so, <coughs> the employer denied the workers who care for sick and older adults their additional halftime rate for overtime hours over 40 in a work week. In addition, the employer failed to keep accurate pay records as required. In fiscal year 2022, the Wage and Hour Division concluded more than 1,100 investigations in healthcare industries, healthcare (coughs) industries alone, and these investigations recovered nearly $15 million in stolen wages for more than 22,000 workers. $15 $15 million stolen in one industry. In one industry. Uh, that is uh uh that's how criminal bosses are. <laughs> uh we've got another thief in Alabama, but this one uh has a bit of a different ending. Um a and this is from AL.com. <clears throat> A Huntsville man who is part owner of a Florida-based pharmacy was sentenced to more than two years in federal prison for his role in a $54 million bribery and kickback scheme that targeted the government health insurance program for current and retired military members and their families, the Justice Department said. James Wesley Moss, 60, of Huntsville pleaded guilty to kickback and fraud conspiracy, among other charges. Uh, He was part owner of Florida Pharmacy Solutions, or FPS, which specialized in compound prescription drugs. Two others, uh, part owner and sales manager David Byron Copeland, 55, of Tallahassee, Florida, and lead sales representative Michael Gordon of Fort Myers, Florida, engaged in what is known as test billing to develop the most expensive combination of compounded drugs to maximize their reimbursement from TRICARE. The three men and their accomplices targeted doctors who treated TRICARE beneficiaries and paid bribes and kickbacks to the physicians and salespeople to encourage the referral of prescriptions to FPS, the Justice Department said, citing court documents and evidence at trial. The bribes included lavish hunting trips and expenses and dinners. FPS employees also used blanket letters of authorization that allowed FPS to change prescription components to make them more profitable, the agency said. Moss paid Copeland and Gordon millions of dollars in kickbacks based on a percentage of the amount TRICARE reimbursed for the prescriptions, which provided an incentive to seek prescriptions for the most compounded drugs possible, such as pain and scar creams. Copeland facilitated the kickbacks through companies he set up to receive and funnel the payments, the Justice Department said, and the company billed Tricare more than $54 billion, (laughs) with a B, from late 2012 through mid-2015 copeland received a four-year three-month prison sentence for his role in the scheme while gordon was sentenced to 18 months in print in prison and in april co-defendant edward christopher white was sentenced to two years and nine months in prison after pleading guilty for his role in the scheme this is another example of the fact that you know look if you steal from workers that's a slap on the wrist right we just talked about this alabama company who stole half a million dollars from working people in our state right here in Alabama stole half a million dollars from us uh and all they had to do eh, you know just pay it back pay it back no big deal keep operating still a boss you still have your company you still have all these profits just pay it back and no harm no foul uh but if you steal from you know a corporation or the government you got to you better watch out uh because you're going to go to jail Over in Texas A U.S. Department of Labor workplace safety investigation inspection at a prominent El Paso manufacturing company found that the employer willfully exposed workers to the risks of amputation and permanent hearing loss and violated dozens of federal safety and health regulations. Conducted under the Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration's National Emphasis Program on Amputations in the Manufacturing Industries, the inspection at Dynamic Tool Company Incorporated identified 58 violations, including two willful safety violations and one willful health violation. OSHA issued the willful safety citations because the company did not have machine guards in place to protect workers from the potential for amputations and other injuries related to nip points, rotating parts, and flying chips and sparks. The agency issued a willful health citation for Dynamic Tools failure to establish and maintain an audiometric testing program and make testing available to employees exposed to excessive noise in addition to the willful violations osha cited dynamic tool for the following serious violations they did not install lockout tagout systems to prevent machines from sudden startups or movement and this has been uh really prevalent you know almost uh, so so many times when we cover uh deaths in manufacturing industries uh it's derivative of not having lockout tagout um Systems or procedures in place. They also failed to train employees on energy control procedures. They did not store materials properly and they allowed blocked passageways. They did not remove unsafe powered industrial trucks from service. They failed to enclose vertical or inclined belts, belts and gears with required guards. They allowed serious electrical hazards related to flexible cords, junction boxes and fitting to exist. And they did not develop and implement a noise monitoring program. OSHA assessed dynamic tool with about $600,000 in proposed penalties in proposed penalties and the company has 15 business days from receipt of those citations and penalties to comply to request an informal conference with OSHA's area director to contest or to contest the findings before the Independent Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. A couple of dishonorable mentions uh, in Owensboro, Kentucky, the U.S. Department of Labor's wage and hour division found that Green River Health District terminated a health care worker after they exercised their right to use protected leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act. The terminated worker had worked at the company for several years prior to their taking FMLA. The department recovered $61,224 in back wages for the affected worker. And back here in Alabama, the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division investigators found that the Birmingham Indoor Adventure Park Urban Air in Birmingham, Alabama, allowed 36 minor-aged employees under 16 years old to work after 7 p.m. on a school night after 9 p.m. in the summer and more than three hours on school days and more than 18 hours a week during a school week, all violations of the child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. <laughs> and this is not, this. I just want to be clear, it's not saying they had 36 minor-aged employees, because that's not against the law. They had 36 minor-aged employees that they had violated the child labor provisions of the fair labor standards act by working too much on a school night uh by working past 7 p.m. on a school night and uh working after 9 p.m. in the summer crazy the division also found that the company stole wages from another employee so the company was fined about $30,000 to address the child labor violations and uh said that they owed $145 to one worker so there you go there you go, um let's talk about uh let's talk about this stuff with Tupperville and Fane. um we're probably gonna have to get to Palmer on telework in overtime uh because we are coming up on the end of the show eight four four eight nine nine t v l. r is the phone number if you wanna call in or send us a text message eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven um and a uh, quirky geek girl in the YouTube comment section said uh, in the YouTube chat says that's horrifying uh, to in response to one of those boss stories. And yeah, it is. It's really, really crazy. The stuff. And, you know, just as a uh, um, just to underscore again, you know how this is only the kind of stuff that is caught. Right. And you can imagine there's so much that doesn't get caught when bosses violate the law in this way, uh, because who knows that they violated the law? Uh typically the workers are the only people that know that they violated the law. The workers are the only ones that uh that know when their rights have been violated. If they even know that their rights have been violated. Some people don't even know that they have these rights. Or they have these, you know, that their employers have these responsibilities. And so, uh the government in a lot of cases has to rely on worker reporting to catch criminal bosses um and so you know a lot of times it doesn't happen and they get away scot free and um and you know that's the kind of stuff that the Illinois Republican Congressperson uh wants bosses to get away with more the Illinois Congressperson I can't remember Mary something was her name who wanted to completely eliminate OSHA's budget wow. take it to zero right that's the kind of stuff that you you know she wants dynamic tool in Texas to be able to get away with not having lockout tagout systems. She wants dynamic tool to be able to get away with not training employees on energy control procedures, right? Because that is the, that's what would happen if again, we went back to the days where bosses did not have some sort of, of uh, you know, requirements under the law for the protection of workers' health and safety. Because this is what they're doing with the law, right? So imagine what they would do if we take away the enforcement mechanism of the law. It would get worse. And people who do this kind of stuff would get away with it. That's what, you know, that's what Republicans want, by and large. Uh, so here, uh, Tommy Tupperville. You know, there was a hearing last week in the Senate Health Education and Pension Committee that really made the news. Uh, We're going to talk about why in the second half of the show. I think y'all know why. And, you know, we have to talk about it, obviously. But uh, for our local Alabama audience, I wanted to bring the local side of this, where our own uh, senior U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville participated in the hearing. You'll remember that basically any time he participates in these hearings, it is on the side of the company. When Bernie Sanders uh, held a hearing about the strike situation at Warrior Map Coal in Alabama, Tommy Tupperville, the person who is ostensibly tasked with representing us, with representing the Alabama coal miners, read from a company press release, a company that is not owned by Alabamians, but rather is owned by international private equity firms, BlackRock uh, in New York and D.C., He's reading from the company press release of Out of Town Billionaires directly to his constituents because there were Alabama coal miners there. So that's Tommy Tupperville, right? And this time was no different because last week he tried to pin the blame for inflation on working people. And this is something that, you know, we've heard uh time and time again, and it and it's been debunked so many times that it's almost tedious to even go over it again. Uh, but this is, you know, this is what people uh you know republican elected officials are saying let's listen to this clip
1: mr higgins uh our economy is in incredibly shaky position uh (laughs) inflation is off the charts especially after covid uh with all the strikes over the last few years has that paid an impact
3: uh played an impact on our economy have the strikes uh, played yes um i don't know that they've had much of an impact as of yet but certainly the increases in pay is going to have an increase uh, the problem of potential wage price spiral uh and that could that will increase uh, uh the inflation itself yeah. mr higgins uh, our economy is in an so incredibly we go. shaky position that's
0: just it's just uh, looking now i'm oh, sorry the about that
1: deflation.
2: oh yeah no worries um so you know, one funny thing about this is, is that, you know, what he's trying to do is is prod this Republican witness who's Sean Higgins. Sean Higgins is this, is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And, you know, these like ghoul right wing think tanks, it's always funny looking up who their donors are. So I did that. Um, you will not be surprised that the Koch brothers are among the funders. Uh, it's also funded in part by Facebook and Google, who I understood Republicans do not like. Um, and also uh, tobacco companies. <laughs> tobacco companies among the major funders for the Competitive Enterprise Institute. So, you know, this very reliable, upstanding, virtuous company, right? Funded by tobacco companies. <laughs> so Tupperville's prodding this guy to say that strikes will increase inflation. But unfortunately, you know, he's not familiar with the particular anti-worker talking points that this guy likes, right? And so, um, Mr. Higgins says, you know, uh, not really, no, uh, the, <laughs> the strikes haven't caused inflation. Um, it's that after the strikes are over, the workers make too much damn money. That's what's causing inflation. That's the big deal. They're making too much damn money despite the fact that to the extent that wage, exi- wage gains exist at all over the last four years, they have always come after the inflation, right? It, it has never in no industry been the case over the last four years that we see first, you know, a 20% increase in wages and then a 20% increase in prices, right? It always, it's always the reverse of that. The price increases come first, and then the workers say, okay, look, I have to pay more to live, so you got to pay me some more money, right? That's always the way that it happens. Prices at the big three auto companies for their vehicles have gone up 40% since 2019, while wages have increased by 6%, okay? Workers are not causing inflation, obviously also comes after the economic consensus is being formed around the observable reality. You know, like this, this, what I'm about to say is not contested. The majority of the revenue generated from increased costs have not gone to wages, not gone to material costs, not gone into supply chain issues. The majority of the revenue generated from increased costs have gone to higher profits have gone straight into shareholder pockets. That's been the observable reality of the revenue generated from increased costs. But, you know, Tupperville's not going to ask this corporate think tank ghoul about that. He doesn't want to know about that because the people who are actually being hurt by inflation are the people that Sean Fang, Sean O'Brien, and Sarah Nelson represent, right? We are the people that are being hurt by inflation and the people that benefit from inflation are Tommy Tupperville's donors. And that's the dynamic that, you know, you need to understand. <clears throat> so that's going to be it for us today on the radio folks. But you know, if you are listening to us on the radio and you're thinking, Hey, I want to hear some more of that, or um, I want to call in and add some, uh, add some commentary that I didn't get to during the main show. Uh, don't worry because we've got a whole second half of the program. We're going to go for another hour, hour and a half online only. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Valley Labor Report. You can find us at the Valley Labor Report on Facebook and YouTube. And, um, and you will, uh, uh be able to, um, continue listening to us. So do that. Um, otherwise, uh, we got a couple of, uh, couple of, Um, plugs here at the end of the show. Uh, Make sure you donate. tvlr.fm slash donate. If you haven't, you can make a one-time donation there or set up a recurring monthly uh, donation. Labor Notes registration for their uh, convention for next summer or next spring in April is up. LaborNotes.org slash events.
0: I know, I need to register.
2: I have already registered, so you need to get on it. Get on it. Register for that if you haven't. It's $140 if you register before like February or something, and it goes up to $180 if you don't. So you want to get in, get in that early bird price if you can. Uh, they've also got some uh, workshops, as they always do. Um, they have, uh, uh, so check that out. Like I said, notes.org slash events. Um, any other plugs that you wanted to make sure we got to, Adam?
0: I uh, just wanted to remind folks, Shop Talk will hmm. be off this upcoming week it is thanksgiving so i hope everyone has a great thanksgiving um yeah we'll be back following that um so definitely check out old episodes if you're interested in labor education history and training you know if you heard some of the stuff we talked about today and you're like i want to go deeper on what are my rights in the workplace or how how do you start a union check out our youtube channel we have a lot of information out there uh, for folks who are interested in learning more about this information Yep. Yeah.
2: all right that's going to be it for us on the radio folks uh, if you're not going to find us online we will see you next week